0: All right, everyone, welcome into Dirt Sports. We are back at it again with another fan profile. Uh, I've got another great friend with me today, uh, hailing out of New York, New York, but originally from Michigan, uh, grew up in Brentwood, Tennessee with me. Toe Batista, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good, I'm good, Truce. Thank you, uh, thank you guys for having me on the show. I've been a, a listener for a while and uh, excited to, uh, you know, chop it up with you.
0: Yeah, man, we're excited to have you on, uh, and we're always even more excited when it's uh, a dedicated listener hopping on to, uh, <laughs> to join with us, so we appreciate it. Um, well, yeah. Toe, why don't uh, you go ahead and introduce yourself here to the listeners, uh, give them a little insight into into your teams and your background. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, so I grew up in Detroit, uh, lived there for about eight years. Um, my Most of my family's from Detroit, so um as a part of that I've been a big, you know, Tigers, Pistons, Lions, Red Wings fan for my entire life and with that has also come a lot of losses. Um but then so I moved to to Brentwood in fourth grade and um kind of got in, involved in the uh, you know, the Southern sports fandom which is kind of a different beast uh than <laughs> than how it is in the Midwest, but uh I still it- still <laughs> I mean it is. I I still, you know, stick to my roots as as a Detroit's fan. Um but it's, um, it's kind of fun to play both sides of the coin. So it's, uh, it's all good.
0: Well, awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of flip the script here as we're, we're normally talking about football. I want to talk a little basketball to kick it off here. Detroit Pistons, um, obviously not too great right now. Uh, but uh, before we get into the current state, I want to talk a little bit of history Um, so you already mentioned kind of why you're a fan, you grew up in Detroit, but, uh, why don't you kind of talk us about being a young Pistons fan and, uh, who your favorite player was?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, growing up, especially in Detroit in like the early two thousands is when Pistons basketball really in, in my lifetime hit its peak. Um, so Pistons were kind of like the talk of the town. The Tigers weren't very good. The lions per usual weren't very good. Um, so the Pistons were kind of the, you know, the heart and soul of the city and in 04, especially is that team really reflected that. Um, So that was a very easy team to get behind. I think I was Ben Wallace probably like three years in a row for Halloween. Like I, you know, every (laughs) single, every single one of those guys was just not only a likable guy, but like, you know, this sounds dumb, but like played the right way. They were not like, I think it was one of the few teams where, you know, like none of them were perennial all-stars, none of them were all NBA type guys. Um, So that was, that was a great team. Um, But yeah, like, and also, they were at an interesting, like kind of inflection point because early two thousands, you had the Kobe and Shaq years, um, LeBron came into the league in 03. You had the Spurs kind of dynasty for the latter half of that decade. And, yeah. and the Pistons really kind of were in the middle of the, the changing of the guard there. Um, and so they, you know, not only held their own, but, but got to win a championship too. So, you know, being able to grow up, you know, around those guys really, you know, even as you know, a basketball fan, kind of is what maybe become a basketball player because, you know, I, I saw guys like Chauncey rip, Taysha, you know, you could go down that entire. Yeah. You can, I and, mean,
0: you can just rip down that list.
1: And even, you know, the funny thing is even a casual NBA fan probably knows at least three or four players. Oh yeah. Team. Everybody, um, knows,
0: everybody remembers that Oh four pisses team. I mean, it, they were kind of the break, like you said, in between the Lakers and the Spurs um, and then the, the Mavericks and the heat coming in later after that. Um so the Pistons were kind of that one that just like snuck in and everybody, I mean, they were almost America's team. No, they
1: were. And like, you know, Larry Brown was the coach there too. Like they went to three or four straight, you know, Eastern conference finals. Like they yeah. weren't necessarily just a blip on the radar too. Like that was, a no, team that no. was you know, going to be a tough out no matter who, you know, what year it was in the playoffs. Um, so, you know, going to those games too, as a kid, just an absolute blast. When like, you know, the city really got behind those guys. Um, and even, you know, the year, you know, the, decade before with the bad boys, like basketball is always kind of Detroit's calling card has been basketball. It probably always will be. They've never been a football town. They've been a hockey town, but no one really cares that much about hockey. Yeah. Um, so it's like for, for your average casual fan of Pistons we kind of it. Um, you know, that has since decreased, but growing up there made it, um, you know, all the better to, to be able to root for those guys.
0: Definitely. And uh, I, I always love hearing about the Oh four team. And this kind of brings me to my next question here. Uh, so I had seen an article from Bleacher Report: Rip Hamilton guaranteed the '04 Pistons would beat the Bad Boy Pistons in their prime. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, you see, like I, I say, all that to you know my spiel about how much I love that '04 team, but I, I have to you know tip my cap to the the Bad Boys mainly because like we talked about how that '04 team was kind of you know the pause between you know. Kobe and Shaq and then Spurs and Cavs. Not that any of those teams, you know, were great. They were in their own right. But when you think about what the bad boys did back to back when they, they were in between bird magic, Jordan, Stockton, Malone, yeah. like a And like, they were right in the epicenter of that, you know, like 92 is when they won it all. And 92 was the dream team and not a single piston was on that dream team. Um, I think that's, that's all you need to know about how good those guys were is like they were very similar to the O4 team, but they had some killers who, who had to really dethrone the NBA starlings. Right. Um, right. You know, at that point in the eighties, it was magic and Um And, you know, Isaiah Thomas was this this scrawny point guard who wanted to dismantle all that. And that caused a lot of issues, you know, in the last dance he didn't really get talked about in not that good of light by Jordan. And it's because oh, those no, guys they were, hated those, each other. Yeah. And those guys, and you could tell, you know, those guys were a pain in the ass and rightfully so. Um, so And and those teams too, like, you know, a great characteristic of those '04 4 teams were how balanced they were. Um, But especially if you watch kind of like the the 30 for 30 Bad Boys documentary, it's like they had so many good guys off the bench. They had not only Isaiah Thomas, Dumars, Lambeer. They had Mark Aguirre, who was in the microwave the year before. They had Vinnie Johnson, the microwave. Like, that was a good team. And to be able to especially, like, go back to back in an era where you had MJ was in his seventh year, like you know, yeah. magic was still in, but like that was truly kind of like the, at that point, the peak of the NBA and they were able to dethrone a lot of Greece. um So I, I would have to have to lead to the the bad boys.
0: I like that answer a lot. I, I like that answer a lot. And I, I'm one of those guys that um, doesn't really partake in the NBA today is way greater competition than it was back in the day. Sure. I'd say there's some more athleticism, maybe a little bit more size, uh, more shooting, but the game was so much more physical back then. And yeah. it's not like these guys were tiny or anything. The average height of it, the uh, of an NBA player really hasn't changed that much no. since I believe the 50s or 40s, something like that.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the funny thing, and like I, I think we've talked about this, you know, probably off camera before, but like it's funny when you know, like the Olympics, for example, for last summer, where like the US objectively struggled right where it was yeah, a smaller 100%. court, it was a smaller three-point line and they realized it was a little more physical game and they struggled they undoubtedly struggled and then you think like all right 20 years ago that's what the nba was there was a smaller three-point line there was a smaller court nobody really chucked three like that yeah. was what the game is so it's like i i mean i still think like the 2017 warriors team is the best of all time i don't think the bad boys i don't think the four i don't think any of the heat teams are going to touch them um but it's like to to act like that game would not transfer in today's NBA. I think is a little a little outrageous, especially when you see from the Olympic level how many of today's players struggle in that.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. I think we were even on Will's basketball <laughs> we yeah. when uh, when the Olympics were going, so we were watching those games and they were struggling.
1: Well, that's the thing, and then you you look at these guys like. And you're almost looking for answers you're like okay they can they should be able to shoot from anywhere they should be able to get every rebound but like you realize you know while they have those advantages in today's nba you know something that is never brought up in those kind of now versus then arguments is uh, they would have struggled playing you know probably defense in there like rebounding where they're you know it's a little more physical and you saw that in the olympics um so i mean like i said like i I, oh, you know, to bring it full circle, I, that's why I kind of like really appreciate that that 91 bad boys team, um, especially the amount of talent that was in the league at that time. Um, it was probably, you know, if probably, you know, they like to say like the 08 or you know 12 team, but either way, probably a top two era of NBA oh, basketball yeah. and mm-hmm. they were able to go back to back without. An Olympian, which is pretty much unheard of in today's NBA as well. So,
0: and that was also in the prime of, like you said, of that 84 draft that had Stockton, uh, Olajuwon, Jordan. Um, Carl, was Carl Malone in that one or the next one? I don't know. You can I think he was off. in the next one, but yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, like pretty you can any, much can rip any, off,
1: you know, David, you know, like you can pretty much rip off any 80 or 90s basketball player, and the Pistons probably beat them on their way, yeah, to the
0: championship. 100%. 100%. Right. Um,
1: and uh, yeah. So I kind of have a little more just uh, affinity towards that team for that reason.
0: I like it. I like it. Um, Well, I still do want to talk a little bit of recent basketball. Obviously, I'm a Grizzlies fan, so I really enjoy talking about (laughs) recent basketball. Um, Sure you do. But why don't you run me a little bit through kind of what's going on with the Pistons, Cade Cunningham, obviously, and then the news today of bowl-bowl um not passing his physical that was broke my heart by the
1: way yeah um I mean just to like I I need to offer a little bit of context just to you know paint the picture of how the Pistons kind of got to where they are today is so you had the 04 teams and then they still tried to like relive the glory years probably up the way until like 2010 2011 um and then they just they wanted to give the fans like a decent product so they would just sign big free agents um and that's kind of has facilitated for the past six years. That's why they signed Blake Griffin to a massive contract. So they've been struggling in purgatory for the better part of this decade. And now have finally kind of committed to the tank. Um, So they were the number one pick last year. They got Cade. So, so right now, their biggest problem is they still have some dead weight on the books. They're still paying Blake Griffin. They're paying Drummond for the longest time. Like yeah. they just, they got stuck with some horrible contracts. So right now, and that's why I was really excited about bull bull is you get a guy who's pretty unproven. He has some flashes, clearly has some potential, huge, ceiling. Um, huge ceiling. And in an environment where, I mean, the Pistons They're you know, their second big off the bench is Luca Garza their first is, you know, their first big is Isaiah Stewart, like they're horrible in the front court. So you would desperately need a guy who could play both sides. Who's, you know, not going to say bull bull is a great interior defender because we really haven't seen him, but you at least give right. a guy who gets to at least cultivate his ceiling a little bit better than in an, on a nuggets team right now where he just simply is only in there for spot minutes and nothing else. And he, you know, he's afraid to make a mistake because he's got Jokic, you know, waiting at the score, table
0: floor. 100%. Him. Um,
1: so, you know, he, he didn't pass his physical. That kind of hurts. Now, I don't even know if I'm a, I'm a fan of bull bull. He's still very unproven, but it would have been nice to see him kind of get his fair shake um, as far as like, the current guys on the roster um, you know going into the year Kate Cunningham had a lot of hype it kind of dissipated as Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, my boyfriend's Wagner from Michigan like they've mm-hmm. all had just like stout years um, but at the same time Kate's and I think why Kate never got the initial love um, kind of coming into this NBA year is he, he's not the flashiest guy like Anthony Edwards right now you know he's a second year player but Posters, everybody pulls up. He's flashy. Three. Yeah, he's flashy, and, and Cade's just simply not that guy. Um, he's got a great handle. He's got a big wingspan. He's a good shooter. Like Cade will be a very, very good pro. I have no doubt of that. He plays for a rookie. Plays especially like a point guard. What you really look for for these guys, and like and you know this too, is what Josh showed at a very early age: is they play at their own pace. Um, you know, even against veterans, right? And like, because the biggest thing for these rookies and it's even harder for point guards, is trying to dictate the pace from both ends of the court while you're the smallest guy out there. Yeah, um, You might be athletic, but it, you know, it's a completely different game when you have to facilitate and really run the show at an NBA level versus in college where you can just pretty much go you know, ISO 1-4 low. And yeah, just get you a can bucket. just
0: use your natural talent athleticism because you're better than everyone else on the court. You get to the pro level, you're not the best player on the court anymore. There's a lot of amazing players out there, so it's a whole different game.
1: Exactly. And I I think that's what Cade has really, from what I've seen the past two months is what I think he's adjusted to really well is, you know, Ja, for example, when he got in, he had, you know, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, some good pick and roll guys. Like he had some guys where he could put in positions to score. And right now Cade's problem is nobody else on the court's a threat. So if he's the only one who's getting locked in, he suddenly becomes easier to guard because he's the center of attention where most rookies come in and that's usually not the case. That being said, I think Cade, um, he's really been stellar the past month. He's Couple of triple doubles, couple of 30 point games. I think he's starting to come into his own. Um, so I'm excited. While the Pistons are, you know, they're probably second or last in the East right now. I think they're gonna get a probably a top three draft pick. Yeah. They've got, you know, Sadiq is good. They they do have some decent players. They're probably, I mean, they are a long way away, but I they they do have a they have a lot of guys coming that I, I'm I'm excited about.
0: So I mean, you never know. It took the the Grizzlies getting the fourth overall pick in Jaron Jackson, then the second overall pick. And they looked into that pick. They I, I think they were um either the first or second team out of the playoffs and ended up getting the the second overall yeah. pick. So that was very, very lucky. But all it takes is two big draft classes. You you hit some big second rounders, it can flip quick. No,
1: and, and that's what I'm hoping too, is like, and you know, to your point, I remember. Two years ago. So the Pistons had the third worst record in the league and the Hornets ended up jumping them. The Hornets get LaMelo ball. We get stuck with Killian Hayes. And like, there's a big, big gap between the two of them, but there, there was like a, you know, it was was two wins in the record. So some it is a little bit of luck. Um, Blake Griffin's finally getting off the books this year. So I'm excited to have, they'll have a top pick and then some cap room. So I I think with Jeremy Grant coming back too, I, not to say they're going to be a playoff team next year, but at least they're probably going to be a little more competitive, which, uh, means they're moving in the right direction. So I'm excited.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, Well, we'll close out basketball talk with that, but uh, another team moving in a pretty good direction right now, your alma mater, Michigan, uh, Jim Harbaugh and the boys finally beat Ohio state. They make it to the playoffs. Um, We know why you're a Michigan fan. Uh, Obviously you grew up, grew up there, went to Michigan, uh, but like we did with the Pistons why don't you talk about maybe some of your younger days thinking about uh some of those Michigan players um before we get to the current uh state
1: no absolutely um so I kind of grew up probably about 45 minute drive from Ann Arbor uh my dad went to Michigan most of my family um like all of his siblings went to Michigan so there was really no other option but to be a Michigan fan um so Michigan football games were Probably one of like, you know, the greatest moments. <laughs> and I mean that probably in <laughs> no hyperbole, you know, from, yeah. from five to 10. Um, and that was also at the time where, where they were good, where, you know, they had Chad Henney, Mike Hart, uh, Braylon Edwards, you know, they might not be household names to, to the average fan, but they, they were dynamite back in the day. Like Michigan was pretty much a shoe in for the Rose
0: Bowl. Jake Long or, on the offensive line.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, Taylor Lawan is a little later, but you know, he's a Titan now, like, they Michigan has had a lot of good talent um and so you know that from two thousand to, to twenty ten they they were a shoe in for a nine to ten win year every year um so like with that and like with that is you have an expectation to reach nine to ten every year um but it's also anything other than that has always kind of been the monkey on Michigan's back where it's been they they've they've been good but they've never been good enough to move the needle and they they brought Jim Harbaugh to be that guy um and as someone who has been very critical of Jim for ever since he's got there, really, uh, this year was probably not only saved his his legacy, but kind of and, and like that's the funniest yeah. thing about Michigan fans is like, so you know Jim, this is year seven, and he finally beats Ohio State. but the feeling of beating Ohio State is something that is literally worth a five year extension. As dumb as that is, <laughs> as dumb as that is. It's a hundred percent the truth. Like I talked about how, you know, growing up going to Michigan games was like you know some of the highlights of my life. I mean this with no exaggeration. When we beat Ohio State this year, it was one of the happiest days of my life. Like, oh, I believe <laughs> it. Like I mean, and we've beaten them. We've beaten them twice since I've been alive, um, and this was kind of my first time where. I kind of understood the right, and it was like a game that actually had some, some pretty big significance. and you
0: had had graduated from Michigan at this point. You had been a student. You had been in the big house. I mean, like, it's.
1: Yeah, and then like, and that's the thing is like, Michigan has had a lot of basketball success over the past 10 years. Any way you want to dress it up, they're a football school. They they really are. Um, So getting that win this year, going to the playoff, you know, winning the Big Ten, even though we got smoked in the playoff, just like, and again, it, it weirdly sounds like a moral victory, but it, it kind of goes to show how how much Ohio State has really had our number pretty much our entire life. Um, so I think he he does have it, it's gonna be very interesting, in my opinion, what transpires the next two years. Um because this this Michigan team greatly overachieved. They really did. No one really thought they were gonna be that good. Um, and they lost a lot of guys. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and last year was an absolute disaster, um, but with COVID, I mean, it, it it truly did. I think affect things more than people thought. Um, we're seeing the the flip of the script, like Michigan, but then you can also look at a team like Indiana, who had a huge year last year, um, but then in turn was terrible this year. So, yeah, it,
1: I, and I, I think part of that too, and something I almost took for granted too, as as grumpy as a fan as i was last year as you look at teams like you know iowa state last year um with matt campbell at the helm um you look at oregon who's you know got i think matt christopher's still their coach um but I like uh,
0: christopher might be gone now
1: okay um I, he was there he was there well the reason i say that it's last yeah, year he was i wanted there. i wanted harbaugh gone um and you almost take for granted especially being a you know as a spoiled michigan fan like nine and ten wins is great but like when that's your ceiling and your floor, it gets a little, it it was like Georgia. It's It's just like, you know, we're not good enough. Then you're just simply not good enough. Um, so you see these guys who build something out of nothing. Um, the guy at IU did that last year as well. And then you see all these programs the next year, just kind of decapitate and you're like, Oh, maybe I should be happy that I'm still winning nine, 10 games a year. Maybe like, you know, getting out a coach who just had a good year. Um, you know, isn't like the the most prudent, you know, strategy. So, right. I, you know, I, I kind of had my qualms with Jim for, for a while, but I've kind of got to the point, especially now that he does finally have the monkey off his back, you know, Ohio state is, you know, having nine, 10 wins as your floor is is really kind of, you know, it, it is kind of a spoiled point of view, especially when, when, especially we finally, you know, we make it to the playoff. We have done anything that, we wanted them to do, and you still, you you play a team like Georgia, and you realize how far behind you really are. Oh, yeah, I mean,
0: it's Georgia-Alabama-Wrestle League, no, for sure. Yeah,
1: and and the funny thing was, is going into that, um, going into the Orange Bowl, you know, I had pretty tempered expectations, wanted a good game. Um, But for whatever reason, like, I really, probably by the, you know, at this point, it was like the second quarter, I didn't really care that we were getting our ass beat because we just were not talented enough to compete on these fields and like once you finally at least for a Michigan fan like once you finally get to play some of these teams at that level you realize that and you're like okay honestly if we're not at that level few teams are and then like you know and you've seen that struggle in the SEC with Florida with Tennessee too it's like you need a lot of things to go your way especially you know when you're not a bona fide pro or, you know not bona fide but like when you're not a shoe in for a nine win season, where you're going to compete for an sec championship every year, yeah. you kind of need to be able to temper those expectations where at the end of the day, you either need a lot of things to go well, or a lot of things to go against your opponent. And sometimes the stars align, sometimes they don't. Um, I, I think we, we almost have sports fans like they fall in love with the knee jerk reactions. And I know I did last year. I wanted Harbaugh so far away from coaching Michigan last year. It wasn't even funny. And now it's like, He's and, you know, he's back. And uh, and I, I say that all to say is like, you know, Michigan's probably going to go nine and three next year. And then like, we're going to be back in the same conversation we had a year ago, but um, you know, that's, that's why we're a fan. Right.
0: <laughs> you never know. Uh, I mean, all it takes is one special player. We've seen uh, guys like Burrow, Cam Newton, Tebow. Uh, and obviously that's a once in a lifetime type of player, but, at a, a program like Michigan you at least got a shot to get guys like that so
1: yeah and and honestly like i do say that all the say like michigan has you know their backup quarterback was a freshman this year was a five star they they've got a great running back coming back they've got great wide receivers coming back like on paper they are going to be really good next year the funny thing is is you know if they run the table into loose to ohio state you know is that and that's the biggest question michigan fans always have is is the season a success if we don't beat ohio state and Up until this year, the answer has been no. Um, And but it's also when you're playing an Ohio State team that you know Ryan Date when he lost to Michigan that was his first Big Ten loss in three years. So it's it's not like you know. So it's like we hang our hats that like oh we're not as good as Ohio State, but like I don't know if Ohio State's the bar essentially. Like if they go 33 and one in three years in Big Ten play, it's it's tough to match
0: that. You can't. That's not realistic expectations.
1: Yeah. And but then it's also like, you know, and that's why, you know, fans like me and other media pundits are calling for his head, even though he he wins nine, 10 games every year. So it's kind of just like an unhappy marriage. I I do like Jim. I'm
0: happy for him, obviously. Um, But the grass is always greener on the other side.
1: Well, well, that's the funny thing is every single offseason, even when we went two and four last year, Harbaugh has been. He's constantly in chapters like, like oh, there's been Colts fans who want Harbaugh. There's been Bears fans who are calling for Harbaugh. Yeah. There's Dolphins. Fans oh, there's who won Harbaugh. It's
0: like crazy again with the Bears opening uh, up this year.
1: Yeah. And so it's funny because I've heard this for the past six years. And like up until this point, Harbaugh hasn't proved shit at Michigan. So I always thought like nothing was going to happen. Um, and now that he's finally kind of crossed the mountaintop, even though, you know, we got killed by um you know georgia but he he won the big 10 beat ohio state it's like he almost doesn't really have that much to prove at michigan anymore i don't really think um you know unless again the stars align the national championship could be great but it, it almost is in my opinion if i was jim it's worth more of his time to go to the nfl
0: yeah um, i mean the big 10 championship pretty much sealed it for him that's all he needed it, to do
1: exactly and the, the thing is is you can say what you want about jim if you look at his track record, he really is a hell of a coach. Um, you know, he took he took Stanford, Stanford, who's horrible now, took them to Rose Bowls year after yeah. year. You know, Stanford was a one or two win program, um, goes to the Niners, takes them to a Super Bowl. I mean, he took Michigan to a playoff this year. Like the, the guy does know how to coach. He's a and winner. He's a spark. He knows that he knows, you know, how to put good people around him, uh, which is exactly in the NFL what you need. Um, he's not like an urban buyer who's just going to micromanage. And he used you know, he, he kind of used to be and that's what. Our biggest issue at Michigan is he tried to run everything, but he does have, you know, like you were saying, he knows what it takes to be a winner. He's got a brother in the NFL who's a winner. Like he does come from great football pedigree and he knows how to win at the highest level where if I'm an NFL GM, I would take a shot at him. If he left, it would make a lot of sense. I honestly think if there's any year to leave, it's this one um, on the stock side.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was kind of one of our talking points on the last pod. Will and I were discussing um, and I was the one, I don't know. I think Harbaugh could end up at the bears this year. Will wasn't so sure, uh, but we'll have to, we'll have to see what happens.
1: The, the hardest part for Harbaugh too, is like, like when he gets hired at Michigan, his sole goal is to build a consistent program that is in his eyes, competing for national championship. He finally kind of broke through the door that, now Michigan is back in the discussion, you know, three years ago, Michigan would be a a cute story where it's like, yeah, they lost, uh, you know, Michigan, they've got one loss going in Ohio state and we, you know, get our shit kicked in and we're 10 and two and move on. Um, But now he honestly has the program, especially from the depth chart recruiting class right now, like Michigan is in a great spot for him to really cultivate his original vision. The thing is, is, is it a little, is it a little too late? You know, he's on year, he's going to be on year eight next year is it worth it to try to build out potentially a fruitless effort or does he jump ship? Um, personally, like, like I said, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to leave, but I I think the main reason he took the Michigan job in the first place is like he could get an NFL and it's been shown. He probably could get an NFL job anytime he wants. Um, yeah. So I, I I think he's, and he's still semi young. I think he's going to probably be at Michigan for, I'd say like another five years before he reevaluates. I just don't think after the year he had, I don't think it makes sense for him to leave now. It would have made sense for him to leave last year, the year prior, the year before. Right now, after his greatest year ever, I think he's the type of guy who wants to build upon that, not just, uh, you know, jump ship. So
0: I like it. I like it. Well, I do want to make a little bit of time for the Detroit Lions, even though they're not the most fun, uh, (laughs) fun topic to talk about here. Um, but I did want to get in one last question about Michigan. Um, so as a Tennessee fan, we all remember the Heisman that Charles Woodson won. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Did he deserve that?
1: Um, I mean, as a Michigan fan, I'm obligated to say yes. Um, yes. He was by far the best defensive player in the country that year for a cornerback to win that as well. Like, the thing that, and I've had this argument, as you know, with plenty of Tennessee fans over the years, and I've been equally as dumb and passionate as I am now. Um, Peyton Manning, in probably in any order of circumstances, deserved to, to win that. Did There needed to be a defensive player who needed to win the Heisman at some point. And Charles Woodson was the type of candidate where he was – you know, he returned punts. He returned kicks. They would put him on offense every now and then. He, he had yeah. he had double digit interceptions. Like he was truly like almost like, and that's why I, I think he did win is because he transformed that position into really kind of the modern day cornerback slash safety, especially at the college level where you get guys like who are the freak at like Tyron Matthews, you know, yeah, who's at LSU, who's returning ball-hawks. kicks. Yeah, you know who like you just need them on the field at all times. Um. And before him, there really wasn't a player who did that as productive as he did. Um, Where not to say that, you know, Peyton Manning seasons like that grow on trees, but like you could probably pinpoint over the past 10 years, uh, you know, it's been a more passing league now, but like those seasons from a defensive player are much more rare, especially at that high level where Michigan had a great year. He had some Heisman moments. I I do think overall he deserved the fact that, uh, (laughs) see, what the funny thing I like to bring up is like, If it was like Brian Lee who came in second, who didn't do shit in his college career, I don't really think it would be a discussion. But when you have a guy like Peyton who has the resume, who ends up being one of the best quarterbacks, who did have a great college resume, it it makes that conversation a little sour. But I think when you look at the, the body of work of what Woodson was able to do from a defensive, how reliable he was for Michigan from all facets of the game you know, he, it's not like he was an undeserving candidate. And I think that's why he ultimately won is he truly had a very, very productive, productive year from a position where that's uncommon to do so. And he did it at the highest level against great teams. So
0: I got to stand by my
1: guy. That's a
0: pretty sound argument. I'll accept that. Uh, I don't know if I agree, but uh, you you bring (laughs) up some good points and uh, I'll respect it. I'll I'll respect your opinion this time.
1: I appreciate that. I've had too many arguments with Lyndon Hardy, just trying to tell me oh. how sick man is. where, you know, I've had at that Bear. argument. Yeah, exactly. But um yeah, no, I mean, he had, and honestly what, you know, to that point as well, is he was a 20 year pro, like, it's not like he was a fallout. Yeah, like, it's not like he was, it's not like he was a boss like, in
0: the NFL. He was all like, too.
1: exactly. He's a hall of fame guy. Like he, he's a guy who was deserving of it. I, yeah. I in my eyes, I think he was.
0: Yeah. So. All right. Well, we'll have to get onto the lines at some point here. Um,
1: I'll try to make it quick. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it quick for the listeners, but now here. Uh, so obviously we've talked about you're from Michigan. That's where your fanhood came from. Um, but maybe talk about some of the early lines players uh, that stuck out to you when you were growing up uh, to give us a little insight there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um so to be completely frank the lions history since we've been growing up has been pretty dog shit. Um, like they have never, they haven't won a playoff game since I've been born. Um, they've been to probably three playoff games,
0: 2016. You know, they ha- didn't they get in the wild yeah.
1: card? Yeah. Yeah. They, they lost the, lost the Cowboys, lost the Seahawks. So when I was growing up, the Lions were the laughing Um, also cause you know, the Pistons and Tigers were actually good. No one really cared about the lions. Um, but kind of like the, the drawback from that is they ha- it's not like they haven't had the talent. Um, and Calvin Johnson was a great example of that, where especially when he was kind of married with Matthew Stafford, who really has no conscience throwing the ball behind center. And he'll just throw it to anybody who's open. Like you really got to see how good Calvin Johnson was, um, you know, especially you, you look up a Calvin Johnson highlight reel and it's most of the time he's double covered it's oh, just yeah. like
0: triple coverage sometimes. Um,
1: so, so Calvin in my eyes is by far the best Lions of our generation. I don't really think it's a close debate. Um, The biggest problem with the lions is they almost have like, especially at the NFL level. And you can kind of see this from like a week to week level too, is like, you kind of have to have a, an organization that knows how to win games. Um, And especially where so many games come down, especially in the NFL, where 14 point leads aren't anything. Right. Where there is. And then what, you know, what comes down the fourth quarter is merely coaching. Right. So the Lions put themselves in great situations to win. It's just when you kind of have that history of like, instead of thinking, like, how are we going to pull this one out of like, oh, no, we we to screw it up. You know, how exactly. And you, you still see that, you know, pervasive this year. Oh, y'all Justin lost Tucker. what Justin five, Tucker six, a-
0: seven games by less than three points or exactly. three points? I mean, one score, or lost, whatever. Justin it was. Tucker
1: hit a, an NFL record on us to win the game, lost on a game winner to the, the Vikings. Like, we almost like the greatest line stat you always look forward to at the end of the year is how many fourth quarter leads they blew um, because yeah. they are truly in every single game. They just have no idea how to close out games. Um, so, that's kind of been the narrative going into uh you know pretty much every lion season the thing that i like though um kind of bringing it back to, to present day is is dan campbell was a guy who, who played for the lions and yeah. he surrounded he surrounded his staff with guys who played in the nfl who know what it's like to be in those losing locker rooms who know what it's like to be in winning locker rooms and, and the biggest fault of in my eyes a lot of the lions prior coaching decisions is you had guys who really couldn't empathize with the locker room Like, if you're going to turn around an organization as badly that needs to be turned around like the Lions do, you need someone who's going to be in the trenches with you. Um, And I I think Dan Campbell is that. Whether he's a game manager, X and O's guys, like, at this point, I really don't care. I would rather, you know, Detroit's been in a dire need of a culture change. And I think Dan Campbell presents that, and I think he embodies that as well. Um, This year, especially, like, they they battled with injuries. They're one of the worst teams in the league. But I – I think to like it It, it was never going to be a tr- overnight transformation with the lions and it still yeah. will not continue to be, they could be horrible and they probably will be next year. Um, but the thing is, is, you know, they beat the Cardinals by 20. They beat the Packers. Like if you can kind of have these feathers on your cap where, okay, I've been in this scenario before against a good team. And I know I'm comfortable in this. Like, I know I can beat these guys. That's right. kind of like half the battle. And especially in the NFL where so many of these games come down to a field goal, come oh. down to the two minute tribes, like, it's something that you kind of need to instill. And I think Dan Campbell's done a good job of that.
0: Yeah. And I think you're spot on with talking about how you finish in the fourth quarter is so important in the NFL, because it's a week to week league. Every team is so good. There's professionals out there. Um, and just like the lions, you can look at other teams like the Vikings, I feel like are another similar team that end up losing close ones, the Falcons, Um really you, you go look at some of the worst teams in the league and a lot of their games are close. They'll, they'll get blown out half the time, but the other half the time they're close. So it's like,
1: well, exactly. I mean,
0: you could, and
1: that's the funny thing about the NFL. It's like, it's not like this is an aberration. Like you, you can look at this year the Titans lost to the jets, the Colts with their season, depending on it, lost, lost to the, Jags. To the Jags, the lions beat the Cardinals by 20. Like this isn't like, yeah, these are upsets, but like these
0: it's not pretty like much wild, effort. yeah. It's not uh, uncommon.
1: Every, yeah, I mean, we've all lost horrible, you know, teasers on Sundays where you're like, "Oh, these guys are a lock to beat X and Y," and then they lose, and it's like, "How did this happen?" Well, it's not like these guys are. Unlike any league in the NBA, like you know more or less your team's probably going to get like as a Pistons fan, you know we're probably going to lose most games. As a Lions yeah. fan, as dumb as it is, I go into mm-hmm. most Lions games thinking that we can have a decent chance.
0: Yeah, and you go into the se- – I'd say pretty much most NFL fans go into the season thinking their team is going to have a winning record. Unless no, it's an absolute brand-new head coach, brand-new organization. Maybe that's a different story. But pretty much at the beginning of the year, every fan is looking at their team, all right, well, let's go make a playoff run. And that's what everyone's mindset is.
1: No, exactly. And honestly, like, that's why I've enjoyed how I, – I think what the NFL does right more than – any organization in a weird way. is like, they do kind of, you know, from like an overall level, I think they kind of do cater to the fans. Like they like to flex these games in, in big times. Like they did that with the, you know, the the Raiders chargers game. <laughs> that was, I don't know if you, you watched that. Absolutely electric. They added insane. that to the playoff spot. Like there is truly nothing better than like than NFL football. And I think this year they've done a great job of like providing that because at the end of the day, there's so many, so many of these games come down to close plays because like, there are very marginal decisions that impact the game and they impact them in a very significant way. And the lions have unfortunately been on the other side of that, but it's like, if you can get momentum and you can see what the Titans, right. You know, when they had that five game stretch this year where they beat literally every team in the AFC, it's like, it's really what the NFL is about. It's not like every single week they're better than that team. It's like, they're just a little more prepared and they're a little more well-coached.
0: And it's getting you know. hot at the right time too. That's the biggest thing. And you go look back at every Super Bowl winner um the ball bounces your way if you win a super bowl i mean that's oh, absolutely that's what it takes you you look at eli manning all the crazy things that had to happen the helmet catch the wrestling out of a sack on fourth and 20 and then uh brady all I kinds mean, of crazy stuff you, you think the about you know,
1: you know the chiefs who you know who won the super bowl two years ago when they they were literally down double digits excuse me double digits in every single playoff game Yeah, like oh, to the titans i remember that they yeah. were down to the titans they were down to the texans in their opener too like they were down against uh who they beat the championship uh, uh 49ers like yeah. yeah it's like and that's the beautiful thing is and you know why they win is i mean having a guy like mahomes helped but it's like they've been in that position where they they know what it takes to win they, right? and, and they never
0: believe they're out of it either
1: exactly and and that's something that it doesn't necessarily come from a home, it comes from the defense as well. It comes from the special teams guys. They come, oh like, yeah,
0: yeah. It, it is kind of a horror. culture.
1: It's a culture thing in the NFL, and it's like I think a classic example. I just saw the stat. Like Mike Tomlin, for the past twenty years or however X amount of years, he's been a coach has never had a losing record.
0: Yeah, I saw that stat too.
1: I mean, how especially the Steelers were horrible this year. Oh, I, mean, I know you guys you, lost to the them. past couple
0: horror. of the past couple of years. They've been and e- they've even been, when they were like eleven and zero or whatever they were like the worst 11-0 team of all time. Yeah, I mean, they fell apart at the end, did not make a playoff run. They haven't really been good, like good and dangerous, I'd say, since 2017. Yeah. 2018.
1: No, I mean, for sure. But it it just speaks to like the amount of churn that they get out of their, you know, like obviously for 20 years to never have a losing record is pretty much insane. But it also speaks to like kind of what they've instilled. It's like, it's not like, you know, they, they tied to the, the lions. They, you know, they beat you guys. Like they just find ways to win. And if you can do that at the NFL level, you're not maybe not going to win the Super Bowl every year. Like, you know, the Steelers have probably won once or twice, maybe in the Tomlin era, but it's like, it doesn't, it really, all that to say is in my eyes, the gap between coaches in the NFL is where it makes the most difference. Cause you can tell guys who understand not from an XSO O from an ego standpoint, from a game yeah. management standpoint, how much of a difference that really makes when talent by and large is pretty negligible outside of, you know, the Mahomes is of the world or whatever.
0: 100%. And that's why I'm pretty fired up um, about the Titans. Rabel. I mean, just the the way he prepares his guys and the, the mentality they have in the locker room and just the fight that they have on the field, how many fourth quarter comebacks the Titans have had. Um, well, I mean, you,
1: you know, this too, like, being kind of like a, you know, an outside Titans fan. I'm not, you know, I'm a Lions fan force of FOMOS, but like, I, I do cheer for the Titans. And what I have loved seeing, especially since the Vrabel era is like, yeah, you've got the Derrick Henry's. Yeah. You, you know, back in the day, they had Chris Johnson, Lindale like they've always had kind of like talented skill positions Their Their defense is really, it's, I mean, and it almost is like a little redundant to say, because like they have been that good this year. Um, but it's like, that's almost been a very overlooked part of their success is like, you know, the casual fan likes to fall in love with like you know, the big players, or whatever, but it's yeah. like the defense. Well, you know, the defense this year
0: saved us 100%. Oh, we, 100%. We would not be the one seed in the AFC.
1: Yeah. I mean, all. and you look at, you look at the chiefs when, you know, five games in the year, everybody was saying like, wow, what's going oh, on? They're done.
0: They're done. And then It's over. Their defense, their defense tightens, it up. tightens up. Yep.
1: And, and like, all that is, is really like, it's got a coach, Like, from a defensive perspective, like, yeah, you can have the Aaron Donalds, you know, you can have the Jeffrey Simmons, you, you can have guys who really do make a difference, but it's more of a cohesion, if anything. Right. And like, you can, you can see teams like the Jags who give up 50 to a Patriots team. that you know, couldn't score 20 against themselves. Like you can see where teams kind of like just fail to. And that's why, again, the steel to bring back the Steelers, like that's why they've always been so good. It's like, if you can rush the quarterback and you can play decent defense. You're going to stay in a lot of football games. Um, and that's, know something i hope the lions aspire to and and that's why it's fun honestly watching the titans is because for the first time in a while like yeah their secondary is whatever but they played much better like it's almost you used to like kind of roll your eyes when the offense got off the field and you're like okay how are we gonna score after this and now it's like they're gonna go three and out and we're gonna get the ball back right
0: and you look at the like the rams game when um Bayard has that pick six, Uh, the offense is playing terrible, wins that game. The defense helps us against uh Wentz when he throws that late pick six, they force a fumble that, I mean, it, it, it's the defense. Yeah. We, we might give up some yards here and there, but the big plays and the big turnovers and coming down to, okay, we need a stop here. It, it, it's been fun to watch.
1: Yeah. And, and I think like, you know, this sounds dumb, but I think kind of the glorification of, of fantasy football has lost a little defensive flavor where it's like the defense kind of will bail off or, you know, bail out. Oh, sometimes it will breathe life into the offense more so than the offense breathing life into defense. Well, right? field like,
0: position it, matters so much. And that's all defense and special teams.
1: Right. Um, and, and that's why, honestly, it has been, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of jumped on the, uh, the Titans bandwagon a little bit this year because like they, they have been truly fun to watch from that regard. And like, you know, you'll, you'll watch the playoffs this weekend, like, especially in the playoffs where you see teams like really kind of like tightening the playbook or, you know, trying to win more of like the muscle trenches game. Like you really see where those defenses come out or it's like the bucks, for example, last year, it's like, yeah, they had Brady Brown, Godwin, Mike Evans, Fournette, their defense was elite in that Super Bowl And that's what eventually makes them win. So, and that's where, you know, I I do think, you know, the Titans, you know, time will tell, I think they're going to be great in the playoffs, but like at the end of the day, I, their defense is going to be the one that's going to have to step up here. And so it's going to be fun to see how that, uh, how that unfolds here. I like it.
0: Well, to close us out here, I want to ask you last one final question. Um, So we know where the lions are right now. Obviously Dan Campbell is the guy for the foreseeable future, but I, and you locked up kind of the left tackle, Penny Sewell. Um, yep. position kind of what is next are you going after a quarterback are you getting rid of golf uh you're trying to tighten up the defense what's next for the uh the Lions organization
1: yeah um so kind of like in that breath too. what which, which I've been talking about is and I think Dan Campbell knows this I think that's why he kind of attacked Sewell last draft is he knows to succeed at the, end, the NFL level you got to win the battle up front um oh, yeah. they yep they have they have the highest paid center in the league they just got Sewell yeah. Ragnall, yeah. Um, they've got Taylor Decker. Their offensive line, honestly, is really good. Um, I, I think his next step is is showing up that defensive line. Um, quarterback is a it's a sexy position to uh, to try to, like, take a reach. I'm sure they're going to give these guys a look this year. Um, I love Pickett. I love how love the guy out of Ole Miss as well. I forget his name at the moment. But
0: Corral.
1: Corral. Yeah. Um, if If I'm the Lions, I take either whoever's available, Hutchinson or. Or Thibodeau. Um, hopefully, Hutchinson. Just because I'm obviously a little biased yeah. there, but I mean, you realize, you especially that pass with, you need a pass rusher, and you you see it with you could probably any you know any team in the playoff right now. You can probably point to a guy who's been that guy in the defensive line. The Lions do not have that at the moment. Yeah. Um. And so, if you can have someone who is constantly, you know, either rushing the quarterback, blowing up runs, blowing up, you know, whatever it. it Eases the pressure off your linebackers and secondary. Um, they have a decent secondary right now. They got Jeff Okuda coming off injury. They've got some good guys, but they need to get a little bit of pressure up front. So I, my bet is, I, I don't think golf is the issue of a of a two or thirteen Lions team. I, I, yeah. I think the defense is probably where you start, and then you can kind of build outwards from there. Um, especially when you have guys like, you know, even though Mariota wasn't the answer for, you know, Tennessee, like he's a decent backup quarterback. Like I, I've always felt that like backup quarterbacks can probably just win you games or just keep you in games. Like that's keep really all games. The, Um, And then, you know, it comes down to coaching. So. I
0: like it. That's, that's a sick. great answer. Well, uh, Toa, I think that's about all the time we have today. I really appreciate you coming on with us. Um, some great insight want to have the listeners make sure to check out our Instagram at paydirt sports. That's one word, uh, our Twitter at paydirt underscore sports. Uh, and then you can check out the website, PaydirtSports.blog, And then you can listen to any of our podcasts, uh, pretty much anywhere you listen to them, Apple, Spotify. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, all we got for today. Toe, thank you again. Uh, any listeners out there that are looking, to get on please uh, reach out through one of those social media avenues and we'll get you on
1: yeah no nick thank you so much i love uh love chopping it up with you guys and uh, yeah thanks for having me on And I, I wish the titans the best i'll be cheering for them uh you in new york so i'll try to bring it home for you guys
0: awesome good talking to you man
1: yeah, you as well buddy take it easy